Hi, everyone. I'm Adrian Amorodi, Vice President for Strategic Enrollment and Communications at Queen's University of Charlotte. Hi, everyone. I'm Heath Einstein, Dean of Admission at Texas Christian University in Fort Worth, Texas. Hi, I'm Marie Bigham. I'm the founder and executive director of Accept, and I'm also the co-founder and co-CEO of Accelerated Equity Insights. And Rick Clark, I am the associate vice provost of undergrad enrollment and executive director of admission at Georgia Tech in Atlanta. Hi, everyone. I'm Tony Sarda. I serve as director of undergraduate admission at St. Mary's University in San Antonio, Texas. Welcome, welcome to the out. Wow, that was just like when everybody sings happy birthday together. It just kind of went off just like that. It was perfect. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Welcome to the ALP, the Admissions Leadership Podcast, which in this case is not a series of one on one conversations. This is a one on five conversation with. ALP alumni from far and wide who have gotten together to talk about something that maybe you've heard of or spoken about yourself. Do we call it the great resignation? Total silence. This is going to be the best podcast ever. (laughs) (laughs) I can can hear you breathing. Um, The catalyst for this conversation was actually, Rick, I think this was you and me, February, maybe March, we were talking about how your, your team was getting poached by uh, Fortune 50 companies all over Atlanta. Um, And talking more about, you know, what it meant for your team, but also kind of what's happening in the profession. I know a lot of people are talking about that. And I thought I would get together five luminaries um, or the constellation, as we called it before we started recording, uh, Marie, which you, you know, very nicely referred to as just a bunch of balls of gas. So <laughs> thank you. Um, but, you know, we're, we're talking about it as, the, as the, the great resignation, the blanket term. Does the great resignation, does that apply here, that moniker to what's going on in our profession? Is it something else? Is it? I think if, you, if you're thinking of this great resignation away from numbers, right? X number of people left the workforce, X number of people. It's like if you think of it as this cultural moment of people rethinking their relationship with employer, rethinking mm-hmm. the role of labor, what it means to be fairly compensated versus what it means to be exploited, um, truly finding uh, finding identity and finding joy and pleasure outside of workplace. I think that's I think that moment is absolutely happening here mm. within our our ecosystem of college admissions. I think there are other factors that are specific to the work we do that exacerbates it. And I think it was happening perhaps a little early. We might've been on the bleeding edge of this, but absolutely we're in the thick of it. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious, again, I'll throw this out to the wisdom of the group, but I'm curious to hear what you think may have been the trigger for this, because I mean, these pressures have been there for a long time, but they, we seem to be talking about them a whole lot more. And I don't know if it's, just the pandemic or the conditions of the pandemic, but what were the accelerants for this this conversation? Because, and maybe it's just because this is a little on the nose. I'm one of those folks who, I, I don't know if you say I left the profession, but I, you know, I was in my role at Lawrence for 18 years, and now I'm a, alongside higher ed instead of inside higher ed. But everybody has their reasons. But when we're thinking about at least profession wide, what what are folks thinking of? 
what may be behind this. So can you, I would, we're going to do this. Tony, go ahead. And then Rick, go ahead and add <laughs> well, on. Ken, Ken, you and I did our episode of the Alp, I think like the week after the pandemic started. Right. And I remember you and I talking about like my history of remote work and my previous employer had a lot of remote staff members, but that, that wasn't the case for everybody. And higher ed does not necessarily have the reputation of moving at a brisk pace, right? When, when you're trying to move a lot of things and we were all forced to make big and fast moves and whether we wanted to or not, you know, a lot of our staff went remote or everybody went remote. And, you know, for the better part of a year, year and a half, there was proof of concept, right? Like we kept the engine running, mm -hmm. doing things under a new paradigm. And I think one of the tough parts in the great resignation, not just that COVID exacerbated people thinking about, you know, to, to Marie's point, like, what do I want for my life? What do I want my relationship with like my peers, my employer, my families, like what's really important to me, but you know, reckoning at an individual and a societal level with that. And at the same time, having a lot of universities say, well, we proved that we can do this, but now move it back. Right. Right. I right. think created a difficulty in all of us saying, well, we've we've shown that we can create an environment for people that provides them some of the things that may be important to them now or that they're centering now in different ways. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things we'll talk about, you know, as we have this conversation together is also, you know, what's important for people in different generations. You know, mm. when I talk to people that are, you know, millennials in the workforce, Gen Z in the workforce, Gen X, baby boomers, some of them are highlighting some things, but some of them are really not. And I'm seeing it as I'm, you know, talking to to you and to my colleagues that it's not just the workers, but it's also the administrators. You know, we're seeing more more Gen X, sorry, we're seeing more Gen Z and more millennial people in the workforce, but they're not necessarily represented in administration and decision making. Yeah. Right. So how how universities and, and employers are going to grapple with who's making the decisions, but who's also impacted where they where there may be disparity between what one group thinks is important and what another yeah. is, I think is going to be yeah. really critical. I will note there, um, as a Gen Xer myself, how quickly you erased Gen X once it came out of your mouth. You zip, whoop, let's move on to the other one. So um, I'm in that zenial micro mm -hmm. Yeah, that, 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 that hurt just a little bit. <laughs> Rick, you were yeah. going to, I know you had something well, you want to say there. I do think that, you know, no question the pandemic was the accelerator on that. But I feel like resignation sort of connotes like it short sells people's engagement with what they want. Hmm. Um, you know, it seems so, to me, resign just seems so passive, really. Um, whereas I feel like it's, it was kind of more of a great contemplation for all of us. I mean, you know, during the pandemic, hmm. it was a really a blessing of pause, slowing down, pulling back and evaluating, you know, what, what do we really want? And we've talked to students a lot about this. I mean, I think that, you know, spinning it for students, it's like, Yes, no one would choose to go to you know high school during the middle of a pandemic, but the, the upside of it is they get to figure out what they really missed and what they didn't miss, right? And that's going to be helpful to them as they think about where they might want to go to college. And I think for mm. staff members, similarly, it's a pause, it's a contemplation, it's an evaluation of, you know, where do I feel valued? Where do I want to contribute? And Maybe I've been sort of just running because, hey, we know we do that in this profession, right? It's a cycle. It's a spinner. And it's sometimes one of those like students, you know, where you get on that wheel and it allowed us to just pause and, and contemplate. So hmm. I feel like there's a transition, but there's also a more more of an engagement than resignation connotes, at least to me. Okay. Well, and just as you're, you're talking about 
this uh, so-called great contemplation that individuals were allowed to make um, in response to to the uh, pandemic, institutions had and have an opportunity to contemplate what the response to that is. And those who are willing to adapt are going to be less adversely impacted by by this resignation. And those mm. who are going to passively or, or, or not so passively force a more traditional approach to employment are, are going to and have struggled. Yeah. No yeah. question. Adrian, I know you you've how many people have you hired this year? I've hired 21 people in a division of 40 ish. Uh, and have also participated in the, the pandemic reshuffle. But when uh, both Rick and and Heath talking about the contemplation both for individuals and for institutions being on the other side of, of 20 hires and being able to speak with people who have reflected on what they want, who have gone on that journey that, that Tony was talking about around relationship with work and what does this mean across generations? I've, I've hired people in, in different seasons of life and being able to be in this moment, folks are much more purposeful about the decision to join our community. We had different conversations in the hiring process about work and life and how they, they intersect and when there really does need to be boundaries. So I feel like, uh, today, we've been able to, to create, we've had more agency in what we're creating as a team because of the turnover. If you asked me six months ago, I don't know that I would have been as, as hopeful mm. or as positive, but seeing the results of that reflection play out as we start the beginning of, a, of the school year with a bunch of new people, there's just new energy, certainly within my division here, but also across the community, like our university has experienced uh, a resurgence, I'll say, instead of resignations from hmm. this, this time period. And you can feel people lifted here uh, at the start of the school year. You get have actually had the opportunity to live the thought experiment that some of us get to only get to play with, which is, wow, if you had to build an admissions team or an enrollment team or recruitment team from scratch, um, I know that's not technically scratch, but it's pretty darn close. Would you do it the same way or would it look different? I mean, how does it look different? Uh, did you structure the office or the operation differently with that much turnover, Adrian? It, it does look different. Yeah. I mean, I've got some more folks who are working flexible schedule. So we have some people who don't even live in the state of North Carolina, who are working for Queens University of Charlotte in North Carolina. We've got folks who spend a couple of days at home or a couple of days off campus doing work. We have folks who absolutely want to be at work every day. So we've looked at our spaces and moved groupings of people together so that we have similarly functioned folks sharing the same space when they are here and do have the opportunity to gather and have gotten more comfortable with having 
meetings like this one over the internet and finding the connections there too. So I'm grateful for the couple of years we've had collectively to figure out how to take advantage of the internet. And also the, the gift of a, a significant amount of turnover means we, we got to fill empty spaces more deliberately and put people together who hadn't been working together in the same space before, but really benefit from mm. doing that. I mean, we've got a whole group of people from advancement and enrollment, all slate experts in the same suite now when folks were just in whatever office was available when we were at more capacity. Okay. So that kind of synergy across different divisions is really exciting. Absolutely. I'm watching the room just to see who wants to <laughs> look. I've got a bunch of alphas on the screen. <laughs> I'm sure someone's gonna be like, yeah, but, or I have an idea or a question. Well, I want to, I, I want to say something. Please. I appreciate it. Well, we are in the tree of trust. I love this. Group yeah, of nobody's people. listening like, to this. Like no one, I know, right? It's just us, right? <laughs> but I'm. I think I think it's curious that no one's mentioned the low pay that is happens that that people. Oh, we are just hadn't gotten there yet, Marie. But thank you okay. for going there. Yeah. Because I think we could talk about all kinds of things with the Great Resignation. I think specifically in the admissions ecosystem, yeah. the low pay compared to the work and the mission-based gaslighting that drives that is at least in conversations that I had a significant driver. Yeah. That goes back to what, what Heath was saying, I think earlier, which is, you know, how will, we are where we are. Um, how will institutions respond? And obviously Adrian just walked through some of that with the space side of things or the collaboration and, you know, all of that, I mean, is huge, um, but you're right. Like, how are we going to acknowledge one of the biggest issues that we're facing is where we started with this, Ken, which is, you know, there was weeks in a row where it was like two people a week saying, I'm going to NCR, I'm going to Chick-fil-A headquarters, I'm going to Accenture, I'm going to BlackRock yeah. and doubling my salary. And, and all you can say is, hey, <laughs> good luck. I mean, you know, congratulations and thank you for how you've contributed while you've been here. I mean, because in the short term, you just can't compete with that, right? But if it goes back, I think, to what Heath mentioned, which is now we understand that there has to be a response and different institutions are going to handle that differently and there will be a reckoning. So I think there's also a great reckoning in this mm -hmm. as well, um, which we're only starting, I think, seeing the very beginnings of. I'd be curious, um, for those who are willing to share, how much does your institution pay your first-year counselor versus how much you made your first year as a counselor. Okay. And I realize some of us have been in the profession longer than others. So, so we might, but I'll say as somebody who has been in the profession for more than 20 years, we pay our first year counselors 6,000 more than what I made over 20 years ago. And you haven't um, adjusted that for inflation, have you? That is not adjusted for, for inflation. Now it's also, to be fair, I live in a, in an area that's less expensive than where I first worked, but not by that much. Um, and I would suspect that we're not alone in this. Mm -hmm. And so to Marie's point, this is absolutely an issue because where you start has a really big impact on what you will accumulate over the course of, of your career. Yes. So um, we have this 
low paying job to start with in an environment with massive inflation. And Marie used the, the term, the, the mission gaslighting. I've heard the term, the mission tax. We expect people to give up something for the good of the team. There's only so many times you can ask people to do that. Yeah. And to Tony's point earlier, which I think is spot on, there are generational differences. And I think many of us, I think everyone on the screen is either Gen X or, you know, early-ish Gen, you know, millennial, Gen Y. Um, we grew up in an era where you sort of paid your dues and we were okay with that. That's what we looked up to. We didn't know any better. We didn't know any better. <laughs> and now we have people who are coming in and, and saying, why do I need to do that? My ideas are as good or better than yours. And why am I not being compensated like that? And right. so, again, to the point that, that we, I think, all been touching on it, how are we going to respond to that? Because we are, we are hemorrhaging talent right now. Oh, yep. yeah. By the I, way, I had, I've had, I had one person, <laughs> I had one person tell me he's leaving since we spoke last week, and one other person who told me they're looking for another a job since we spoke last week. Seriously. So it, you know, there's the cycle just sort of keeps going. Well, Heath, I'll I'll actually respond based on myself so i don't know won't put anybody on the spot but i so our entry level admission counselor pay is five thousand dollars more than i made my first year working in admissions which was about 14 years ago right mm. um mm. and i'm gonna steal a little bit from heath and, and from rick i think you know the the financial compensation is absolutely part of the conversation but ken you'll appreciate this using a an admissions term i think people are looking more holistically at their employment and yes. also the opportunity cost of working in admissions versus working somewhere else. Right. So I've lost five people in admissions in the last six months. Two of them went to, Heath, to your point, jobs that paid them more and were remote. But I had three people that left for internal positions at my university. Yeah. Right. And that also, you know, the I guess the silver lining is, hey, the institution still keeps talent. But it, it is functionally expensive to rehire and rehire and rehire and have it be a never ending carousel without doing any kind of assessment as to why does this keep happening, right? For all of us that have worked in admissions for a really long time, we train people to be the Swiss army knife of the institution. You have to know about admissions, academic, financial aid, mm -hmm. the bursar's office, student life, campus safety. You know, we really do an incredible job of training people to not just be admission practitioners but higher education practitioners yeah right so when other offices on your campuses have better paying jobs that maybe don't have the travel rigor the calendar rigor the emotional rigor that comes with working in admissions do we blame people for one trying to hire away our admissions talent and two do we blame the admissions talent that says i'm willing to leave for another job on campus where i know what the benefits look like no i not only have transferable skills but i know about my employer and i don't have to deal with some of the things that come with working you know in the college admissions profession yeah tony could you be what um what areas of campus did you lose those colleagues to one was to financial aid for similar pay but okay. less travel Okay. Yeah. Or no travel. Okay. Um, one was to our law school and one was to DEI. Okay. I was waiting for you to say like lost them to the development office or the advancement office. Cause that's usually the two kids at the table who are put up against each other with compensation. 
No, and you know, and, and and one of the things that you know we've talked about before, and I think about it too, is if if the if the script was flipped, right, at universities and universities said, hey, where we really need exceptional talent, mm-hmm. retention, longevity, training, and a deeper bench, to a point that both Rick and Heath have made. Imagine if admissions was the place that had salary structure, position structure to go into residence life, the finance office, yep. you know, all of these different places that are critical functions of the university and say, well, you know what, we can train you on admissions, but you come with an expertise area in higher ed and we want to develop that further in admissions. So having the, you know, admissions be the the hub where, you know, maybe talent is cultivated elsewhere, but we do the we, we do the picking up to try and get people to to stay in this profession for the betterment of both the students and the university. Um, but it just seems like it's the other way around. You know, we're we're just losing a lot of people um, that could be good in the profession, yeah. but for a variety of reasons, they're just not staying. Well, the good thing, though, Tony, is that higher ed moves super fast to respond to <laughs> market forces. So I'm sure I'm sorry. That's I shouldn't be that tongue in cheeky. Is it, are you hearing of anybody who's getting that right? I mean, Adrian, I, I, I don't want to put all the pressure on you. Right. But I'm like, you, I don't... You're the test case here because you just had right. to go out to market and bring in 50% right. of your team. Yes. And I mean, we increased salaries at entry-level positions. We increased salaries at mid-level positions. I think, you know, to speak to the longevity piece and the, the how do we train higher ed professionals and paint... Uh, career trajectory for them we when i started here a year ago we were doing okay not great but better than most i would say on our entry-level compensation certainly within this very statistically significant sample size of six and a few who have shared you know our our entry-level salary was you know ten thousand dollars more than what i made as an entry-level admission officer 13 years ago. So um, on a a different trajectory there, but where we were really falling behind even more was the next, you know, the assistant and associate director level roles. And there just wasn't a lot of space between entry level counselor and their compensation and three and four years in assistant director, senior assistant, director you know we tried to title people to recognize the the additional work that they were doing but those were leading the compensation which i know is not distinctively queen so i did a lot of work on trying to right size some of that and we actually hired fewer people overall i fewer fte's than what i was allotted um allotted isn't the right word but um what the org structure had when I started a year ago, because uh, we did work with fewer people. It was tough and exhausting work with the few who who did it, but really took the opportunity to to reallocate some of those dollars to positions at the mid level, so that we could reward people who stayed, yeah. uh, demonstrate what it's like to be a, a middle manager and the trajectory for leadership within this field. Uh, certainly got the gift from institutional finance office and the blessing from trustees even to invest more in our people. Like that is one of the pillars of, of our strategic framework, but it's taken a lot of a lot of work and we know we still have a lot of ground to cover. So. Yeah. 
I took the less but better approach to people in the short term because we were so far behind on people anyway, having fewer people uh, this year than what we were planning for last year is still way more than what we had last year and they're better compensated. Adrian, I just I just had this thought pop into my head and if this is a wrong assumption, we can edit this out, right, Ken? Nope. But, you know, we, touch, we, Kids we, taking we, the picture. When, yeah. you're, when you were talking, Adrian, about the, the backup that you had, the support that you had for the creative thinking and the budget, I immediately am reminded that your president is a former enrollment manager. Yep. And I yes. wonder if that was a key role or a key thing oh. here in your success. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. His his awareness of how the job it like of what happens in an enrollment shop, for sure. Similarly with advancement and that background that yeah. he he brings. I mean, we if we don't bring in students, though, like none of the rest of the really cool stuff that happens at a university really matters. And so his his enrollment lens and upbringing in his higher ed career definitely helped with getting trustee support definitely makes it easier for me to advocate for resources for my my whole division. So I am I think it was good to call that out, Marie, but it's also important for for folks listening to know that it's a it can feel really simple to say we need to pay people more and and sit in at a senior leadership team. It's not as simple as it sounds when we're doing the math. So we we do our best and we should absolutely be called to do better. Uh, But doing those exercises at the university level do take time so that we can be thoughtful. Um, And we know that decisions made in one area, like people are talking to one another. So we have to be able to, uh, we just have to feel good about the decisions that we're making. And gone. that comment was not that it was easier to do this because of your mm. presence, former position is actually quite the opposite. Like I'm thinking, you know, the trend <laughs> in higher ed leadership is people outside of academia, people who are business people and really crappy right. political appointments who have zero inkling of what it takes to bring in the largest amount of revenue and have the lowest paid people do that. And yeah. so I'm just, my thought is like, how do you help fix this? You just make sure former enrollment managers become presidents. Yeah. Then, then or refer works. them all to Dan Lugo. I mean, either There's one, that. just have him just go straight to, uh, we'll, we'll point out. He's just twiddling his thumbs. He's not, you know, yeah, doing right. much right now. So uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely everyone should reach out to him immediately. Right now. How do we make the magic yeah. happen at our place? Right. Um, he's he's bored. Sorry, Dan. <laughs> um, one thing, you know, even Ken, since we talked, you know, however many months ago, and then this group sort of uh, talked in follow-up to that, I do feel more optimistic about kind of where things can go. Hmm. doesn't mean necessarily they are going or know uh, that I've seen all the evidence, but I'm feeling more optimistic of where things can go. Um, but I will say, Adrian, I, I personally do agree um, that the model of less people at higher pay is part of the solution. Maybe not everywhere, mm. but in a lot of places, because exactly what you're describing is what I'm hearing from all of my colleagues, 
um, particularly at private, I'm sorry, at public institutions. Um, and that is like, we just, we always are asking for more and more and more because maybe applications are going up or the pressure is on for various you know, student populations. Um, but maybe the time is to rethink that and to pause and kind of rewind and say, yeah, maybe what we need is, I, I can't remember exactly how you put it, but less but better. Um, or, you know, instead of arguing for more, we argue for more for the people who are here that have such deep talent. So no, that's not the panacea, but I do agree that's one model where I can see a path forward to triaging, you know, some of, as you said, keep the hemorrhaging that we've kind of experienced. Um, Rick, last, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, 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 finish your thought. I was just going to say, man, if you want to see higher ed and, and friggin' quagmire at its worst and just like stalemate publics. I mean, you know, not only having a president who has an enrollment background is great, but you're at a private school. I mean, you get to at least have those conversations on a central level. And the truth is that most publics have actually centralized things within systems. And so you're really fighting, not even just within your own institution, but across an entire system for what they call, you know, bands and spans of salaries. And it is a freaking battle, man. And so to talk about nothing happening fast, the publics, I feel like add another layer to that. Hmm. I, I wanted to respond to the point that both you and Adrian are making about the uh, less can be better, fewer folks doing, doing more or doing as much, but, but being paid more. I think that, model could work too so long as you're not expected to do more and and that becomes an issue because with many institute at many institutions it's the well what have you done for me lately yeah. uh approach and if you had twenty five thousand apps this year then you better get 30 next year and better be 35 the year after that um and then it, it so it becomes hard to have this permanent approach um, without continually feeling like you're, you're needing additional uh, support by way of staff. And by the way, I think I, I would guess that most institutions are staffed at a level consistent with an app pool that was much smaller when those positions were established. Yep. I think you're probably um, right. I, I don't, I, I don't want to say much here. I just want to add one thing that might be helpful. Um, to, so first of all, amen, I agree. We this summer went through an exercise where we put a couple whiteboards up and one said mission critical. What must we do? What must we do? What is, what is the non-negotiable? Um, and then the next one was mission complementary. So, okay, it's the next tier down. We would like to do it. If we're fully staffed, if we have the ability to do it, like we would like to be able to do that. And then the third one was mission compromised which means here are the things that we can identify that we've been doing that we're just going to have to stop doing and we can stop doing. Um, not to say that's always easy to draw those lines, but I do think you're right. Like you can't have less people, even if they are paid more and expect them to do more. That's just not going to work. I'll well, Rick, speak on behalf of listeners here, Rick, which is what did you stop doing? Because that's not something we do really well. Do you have any yet? <laughs> we're looking for ideas. Well, I mean, look, um, there are places that Georgia, Georgia Tech, right? I'm just going to talk about us yeah, since it was please. our exercise. I mean, there's places where we box check on saying, oh, we went to that high school or we did that program. Yeah. We don't need to do that. We have a website. You know, those kids are going to apply. Um, that is just not necessary. And so we can't do that. We, we're basically not traveling out of state this year. 
um, except, you know, with some consortium stuff. Are we hearing about that? Yeah. I mean, are some alums not pleased? Absolutely. Um, are there people who are saying, where's Georgia Tech and taking pictures, you know, at oh, fairs yeah. and sending it to me? Yeah. But is it critical? No. I don't need to go to Silicon Valley because last year I got 100 applications from most of those public high schools, right? And they can Google for us. They can look at rankings or all the other ways they find us. We don't need to spend our time doing that. So, you know, those are a couple, a couple things, but hey, that's just reality. It's where we are. And Rick, you say they're like, our alumni aren't happy. My mind really goes through, well, that's development problems, which started in my mind cascading all of yeah, the things point, that admissions falls under your mission that has nothing to do with admissions, right? Mm -hmm. It's keeping alum happy. It's doing this. It's not mission critical, but it somehow it falls under your portfolio. Yeah. And I'm, I'll give you a No, Sorry, but I was like, this is just... That you were saying that because that just kind of blew my mind a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I'll give you a specific example of something that we did a couple of years ago. And it was at the suggestion of, of our counselors, which is we stopped interviewing students. Now, partly that was, and, and perhaps even primarily, um, an equity issue. We felt like that the students who were requesting interviews were those who knew to request an right. interview. Right. or who were at well-resourced schools where they were encouraged to request an interview. Um, and, and invariably, we'd be interviewing students who, who, for whom TCU was a top choice anyway. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't need that extra touch for students who were going to be in our pipeline, were likely to, be, to enroll if we offered admission anyway. We felt like it was a better use of our team's time to, to reach students who, who maybe weren't in that same um, um, sell, so to speak. Um, but the, but the bigger issue I think, or, or the equally important issue was it was such, uh, an expense on time and which, which is the most valuable com commodity that you have. And the, the, it is labor intensive and to Rick's point, it was not mission critical for yeah. us. And so we got rid of it and, and our counselors love that. Yeah. And we're hearing from two institutions with big national footprints um, for some schools that's and I don't say like so shame on you for I mean you do what you do in, at the institution that, that, that you're working at but but for a lot of institutions that are not household names um, that's that's a tougher that's it's tougher to stop doing things because it, that's going to be the thing that means there's two other students that didn't you know the margin is so thin at some institutions um, Tony, you look, Tony, you've been raring to say something here. Yeah, I, I actually wanted to tie something that um, that Rick said with Heath. Rick, you, you said something yeah. about like, if we're at full staff and Heath, you said, you know, um, the things that are important, but we also have to remember that as we are cycling through all of these people that have left and the new ones that are coming on board, you have to care exceptionally for the people that stay. And I think that that's a thing yeah. that we are not as attentive to as we should be. And I'm not going to use the word loyalty because work will not love you back. Yeah. Right. But they have made a decision <laughs> to stay. And if there's less people, Heath, you were saying like, hey, like, you know, less people. But as long as you're not doing more, there are people in every office of admissions in this country that are doing more because of vacancies. Right? right. Somebody leaves. Somebody has to pick up the slack. It's like, hey, you're going to do this temporarily with no change to title compensation time off considerations for professional yeah. development. 
and it's not sustainable, right? And I think it's happening at every level. I'm seeing more assistant and associate directors not just leave admissions offices, but they're leaving admissions in higher ed, yeah. right? And now trying to cycle in new people and build the bench for the profession, like is I think becoming alarming. Like when we think about who's that next generation of leaders that we wanna cultivate to leave what is really a worthwhile percent, you know, profession without doing the gaslighting that Marie was talking about earlier. It's getting harder. And when we start to lose those middle level people, it takes time to, to nurture them and to grow them. So how do you do the things that, you know, Rick, you were talking about that are mission critical, you know, necessary or adjacent without, you know, burning out the people that have stayed because, you know, whether you're doing out of state travel or not, or where you're going to, everybody, everybody here that's in admissions has a staff that's about to get on the road or has gotten on, gotten on the road and they are already out of gas. It's not like they had like a light summer that was recharging and they're rejuvenated and they, you know, they're they're fresh, right? And they they can go. Like I'm seeing more people getting ready to go tired yeah. than full of energy. No, I, you're, you're right. I, I've been uh, become accustomed to saying, if you're not intentionally giving people a reason to stay, you are actively giving them a reason to leave. And that's a shift. I mean, that's a shift from where it's, I don't think, I think you could probably get away with it five years ago, six years ago. And I'm not saying get away, like being negligent about it, but that was less of a, a concern because of the, this is for the greater good. You're working in education. It's for the children. That That's not, that's not working anymore. Well, because it's never for the kids. Like we all need to be just real honest with ourselves right now. It has never been for the kids. None of us, unless any of us here are independent counselors, none of us work for the kids. We work for the institutions. And even when we worked in high schools, we worked mm -hmm. for the institutions. Mm -hmm. That's who paid us. Now, the beneficiary might have been a student, but at the end of the day, we work for these institutions. The institutions like to us by telling us, so this is for the kids. No, this is your tuition revenue. This is your budget that we're bringing in. That's who it's for. Yeah. If this, if 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 all of higher education was just about making sure that the kids had opportunities, it wouldn't look anything like this. Hmm. Um, I get off that soapbox. No, no. I mean, hey, that's absolutely valid. Um, I did. Sorry, I just wanted to go back real quick to something that Heath was talking about on these people who have been kind of carrying the bag. Um, but also to um, thinking about how do we lean into a solution? Like, what is yeah. the path forward? Um, and that I, seems, and I will seems like say, a good time to start doing that. Knowing, well, I knowing mean, where we are so, in the recording time. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, so Adrian hit on one, right? And, and it's not going to work everywhere. But in some cases, less people, better people, higher paid is part of the solution. I believe that. The other thing I would say is this gig economy, right? We need to lean into the gig economy. And... One way I can say for us that we've done it, again, I understand this isn't going to work everywhere, is to your point of there's never a time to pause. There's never a time to refresh. Uh, we're, we're overworked, we're underpaid, all these other things, right? But what's the path forward? Part of it, I think, is like in something we did this summer, we had never done this before. One thing we have to do, our staff has to do, in the summer, you tell them, take your vacation now. <laughs> um, there's transition normally of some kind with people leaving um, and we at Georgia Tech, anyway, have been growing in our enrollment. Well, all of that leads to more of the handoff, specifically as it relates to um, checking kids for residency and what we call lawful presence in residency, doing final OKs, right? And getting them ready to be able to register and actually matriculate. 
Well, that is laborious, burdensome, just monotonous crap work, right? And we ask people to do that, especially people who have been coming off of, you know, reading and all these other things. So this year we hired 10 or 12 people seasonally, many of whom actually used to work for us. Um, and we had always had people at the other part of the season reading applications. But this year we hired people to lean into that kind of work, right? Mm. Well, they were thrilled because they didn't have to come in. They were getting paid hourly. It was easy to do, right? And it's interesting because they actually, they did a better job. <laughs> and they found some things and asked some questions that our staff hadn't found or asked before, right? Probably because they were tired. Um, and so I do think leaning mm. into the gig economy where we can makes sense and everybody wins at the end of the day. And it might be complementary to what Adrian highlighted, which is less people better paid doing higher level stuff, yeah. right? So where are those opportunities? Well, and can we expand on that? And if we have folks, since we have folks who are underpaid at universities, can there be a, a gig economy within a university? Like, if I know that I've got high volume checking records over the summer, but another office is not doing that, and they have people who would like to make a little bit of extra money and have some time, instead of just telling them of this new responsibility, can we compensate them for this additional thing they're doing on a, on a seasonal or semi-regular basis? So we've done a little bit of that here and also hired some outside help for setting things up to bias time to be purposeful about a hire. Like I could just replace this person one for one. I don't know that I want to do that, but I need this specific skill. So hmm. can I hire someone with this skill for a little while to figure out how I want to rework this particular position in a departure? So do you have an example of that, Adrian? Yeah. So, um, we, uh, one of our, our power fades expert in financial aid retired and she, so we reworked the, the position and posted one and just weren't getting the candidates that we really wanted for the role that we imagined initially in her departure, kind of trying to replace it one for one. Yeah. And so she decided to stay on board hourly to, to help us do the, the mission critical work we needed to do with power fades. And then we actually brought in another power fades expert with a different institutional lens to help with, with another setting up the new new year and some new reporting. And as we were going through that process, one of our, our staff members said, you know, I'm interested in growing in this way. And so we totally reworked the position, have taken advantage of these outside experts to help develop this internal person so that she can be, she can grow in her profession, professional experience and we can keep her. And we also are developing our internal capacity, yeah, but instead of asking our director of financial aid to add to her plate, we brought in some outside help for her so that she could still be director of financial aid, but also develop an employee on our team. Any other, uh, Marie, you just, you're, I see the making face. You are. You've got the I have an idea face. <laughs> so I'm currently listeners obsessed. can't see. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's good because it's a really weird face. Um, I'm obsessed currently with the show Industry, which if you haven't watched it, oh my god, yeah, it's great. It's it's the years between Euphoria and Succession. It's the best way I can describe it. 
This is how Kendall Roy becomes Kendall Roy? Yeah, kind of. Okay. But the point is this, I'm thinking about that and I'm thinking about Golden Sachs and I'm thinking about McKenzie and these companies that students want to go to, those brass ring jobs. And a part of the appeal is it, of it is they know if they bust their ass for three years, they have their choice of jobs because people know that they are trained to be, as Tony put it, the Swiss army knife of industry. Mm -hmm. What would happen if we just as a field, as a profession, understood our role in that and leaned into that and told new hires, we're going to suck the life out of you for three years. But a part of this is you're going to get to see and meet people in every aspect of this university and in every aspect of this profession. And we're going to assume that you're going to keep it here for three years. And we're going to show you pathways. And then here's my radical thought. The university supports that by making sure that people are well-paid, by making sure the pathways are absolutely clear. So you might be seen as the farm team, but the pipeline has to go through you. And that pipeline is rich mm. and rewarding. I don't know. This is not, clearly not a fully formed idea, but it's like, why don't we lean into understanding the role yeah. that we sometimes play? And perhaps a part of that is a part of that pipeline is, yeah, you could go to development. You could become chief of staff to present, whatever, or you could become the dean of enrollment too. Mm -hmm. Like keep people that way. I don't know. Or you can I mean, become a university president someday by having all of those things put together. Right. Call or you back. could grow into management yeah. where you could yeah. start an advocacy yep. nonprofit that that job prepares mm -hmm. you for so many interesting things. Mm -hmm. But if we were upfront about that at the beginning, again, like that, you give three years to Goldman Sachs and you can do whatever you want. Why isn't enrollment that way? Marie. That one seems like a really good one to end on. That's like a that's like the keep people. I know well also because I know a couple of people have to leave the Zoom room here because they have other things on campus. Um, uh, actually, Maria, I, I I love the half baked idea because there's somebody else that can bake the other half of it. Um, but I think that's what Adrian is doing, and I think that's what Rick is cognizant of, and I think that's what Tony's been setting up, and I think Heath, when he talks about setting up people for success, I think we all do that internally. In enrollment mm -hmm. offices, it's getting the rest of the university on board too, yeah. and getting and, resources to just and other universities on and board universities and, and turning it into more of a systemic thing, mm -hmm. which is what this podcast will do because all of them will be listening to how to the great ideas that came on this. Now, I thank you for making time here uh, late on a Friday afternoon, and I just broke the cardinal rule in podcasting by, you know, timestamping basically when we recorded this. Um, but I, I, it just I means, it just means you need to release this late on a Friday afternoon. Yeah, that's true. Rather than, you know, we could have turned this into happy hour. Uh, but again, I know you all have places to go. Tony, I know you made a special request though, uh, at the, before we got on the air, which was, um, did you want to update your, your walkout song? Is that, I mean, just a callback to your original recording, but. No, so I, I kept thinking about the song, Here I Go Again by Whitesnake. And, uh, nice. I don't know, yeah, I don't know if, you know, you know, singing Here I Go Again on my own. Yeah, is, how very, uh, how very Gen X-y of you. <laughs> I was thinking. I try my best for you, Ken. <laughs> down. What, what was that, Rick? I was thinking something like Burn One Down by Bob Marley. Okay. So we got Burn One Probably Down. Afternoon. Here I go again. Marie, what do you got? Oh. Well, you're going to a Pearl Jam concert here I soon. I was going like, to say, because I'm about ready to go on tour again. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with Last, Last Exit by Pearl Jam just because it rocks incredibly hard. And it's kind of like that moment of I'm done. Okay. Okay. 
Heath, you got one? Um, well, just given what we were just talking about and trying to trying to blow this whole thing up and start over again, I guess I'll go with burning down the house by talking heads. Okay. Okay. Adrian, bring us home. Oh, geez. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go. <laughs> uh, that made me feel very Jennifer Delahunty in that moment. Um, but <laughs> uh, Jenny D. Run, though. Right. Yes. I can't have a podcast with you, Ken, and not talk about Jennifer Delahunty for a moment. That's but, okay. Uh, right. I'm going to go with, I'm feeling really hopeful for, for us. And so uh, Run the World Girls by Beyonce. All right. Perfect. Hey, Heath, Adrian, Marie, Tony, Rick, thanks for spending time here and for coming back to the Alp. It's a alumni hour here, um, but it's great to see all of you again and be with all of you again. Uh, to you, dear listener, thanks for listening. Be well and do well. <laughs>